Hey everyone, I hope you're doing well. I hope you had a wonderful Easter. I hope you were able to spend time with family and enjoy uh, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus together. Um, as we finished up our Easter series, The Journey to the Empty Tomb, I figured that it would be good for us to continue this pattern of looking at uh, what's going on in uh, the life of uh, the church and what God is doing through his people by looking at what comes next in the biblical account, which is the festival of Passover. It's the birth of the church. Uh, the festival of Passover was a feast that the Jews would um, celebrate 50 days out from uh, Passover, and that is when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, filled them, uh, and empowered them for ministry, and that is what we see in the book of Acts as God continues to move forward with his people. And so as we as we think about that, I wanted us in the lead up to, um, uh, to uh, what would be Pentecost, which I believe is June 6th, uh, in those weeks leading up to that, I figured we would look at the church. I figured we would look at who the church is, what the church is, and what God is doing in and through the church. And the reason why I think this would be a very timely study for us is because there is still, even in our day today, a lot of confusion as it relates to um, what the church is, how the church functions, what God is doing in the church, and and unfortunately, there are a lot of people who have bad experiences and, and baggage from times that either they've been involved in a church or people that they know of. And so I think it would be helpful for all of us, both Christians and non-Christians, to take a step back and to uh, think through what it is the church is truly supposed to be. Um, and I hope this will be beneficial for everyone. So as, as we do so, we first need to acknowledge that there are many, many different types of churches. I understand that there may be some uh, who are watching and listening to this who have uh, always been in a particular type of church. Maybe it's a particular denomination or a different, uh, particular style of church. And that may be all that you know. But the truth is that uh, the Christian church, with a capital C, is very diverse. There are many different types of churches out there, many different traditions and, and things of that nature. There are some that are, are run differently. There are congregational churches, uh, like the one that uh, I'm affiliated with, the Highland Park Baptist Church. We are a congregational church, and while we do have uh, a senior pastor, and I'm the associate pastor, and we have other staff, and we have deacons, by and large, the the um, 
the church is directed and and run primarily through the voice of the congregation itself. And so as the congregation meets and as they vote on various things, uh, they are the ones who are running the church. And we do that because we believe that um, as Scripture teaches, we are the priesthood of believers, that all of us, there's no special Christians, even though some are called to full-time ministry, all Christians are equal in the eyes of God. We're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And so when we all come together, all of our voices should be heard. And there is there's safety and there's wisdom in collectively hearing the voice of all believers in a local church as we move forward. But not all churches are that way. There are some wonderful, godly uh, churches that are, instead of congregational rule, they're more elder rule. And that could be uh, just maybe one elder who's uh, ruling, uh, and that would be most normally uh, the, the pastor. Or there may be a group of elders um, that are, are overseeing the work of the ministry and, and leading the church forward. And so, and there's all different other types, but those are the two big types that we hear about most often, at least in the United States. But there are so many other different variations of that uh, within the body of Christ. And then you also have traditional churches, whether that be traditional in worship or traditional in um, their understanding and practice of ministry. Um, and then there are more contemporary churches. And again, there's a whole spectrum of those in between. And so oftentimes what I hear from people who are looking at all these different churches, they can be overwhelmed. Uh, is there a right church? Which one is the right church? Is there a right way of doing church? Is it congregational? Is it elder? Is it some combination of the two? Is it, um, is it contemporary, traditional, Southern Baptist, Episcopalian, Presbyterian? You know, what is the right form of church? What is the right type of church? And um, that's kind of a, um, a mistaken question because there really is no right form or right um style of church because all those various styles and all those forms point to scripture for their own justification. Uh, but I believe that God appreciates the diversity of, of style and, 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 and form of churches as long as they're all committed to following God, um, honoring his word, and making disciples of all people. Um, and so we need to give freedom and allowance to various churches to worship in the way that they see fit. But in addition to all those various types and forms of churches, there are also many people who have been hurt by churches. Unfortunately, there are many examples of church splits that have left people hurting, left ministers hurting, left the congregation hurting, left the community hurting. There's also uh, many different examples of moral failures within the church, whether that come from the pastor, the deacons, or, or even in the congregation itself when, when churches are not uh, holding people and holding sin accountable or whether or not it's just there is sin that's being held accountable, but it just causes a great rift within the church. And whatever it may be, there's just a lot of uh, blurriness and ambiguity when it comes to what the church is, and how it's supposed to function. So as we launch into this new series, I hope to kind of bring some light and some clarity to, to some of those things. And so let's just start with some foundational truths as it relate, relates to what the church is. Now the first thing that we need to understand when it comes to understanding the church is we need to understand that the church 
is essentially the people of God, not the building of God. Now, when I say the church is the people of God, not the building of God, we're first and foremost, we're not talking about the local church. We're talking about, which would be a, a lowercase c, but the, the global universal church with the capital C. But this could also be applied to local churches as well, whether we're talking about the church that spans all time and and geographical boundaries, or whether we're talking about local churches that uh, we can see on each street corner, the church, the true church, is not the building. It's the people of God. And, and that's a big thing that we need to really fix in our mind because, and I do this myself, so I'm not picking on anyone, but we often talk about we're going to church um, or what's going on at the church. Um, we need to understand that while that does while that is a helpful way to talk about a local uh, place where the church meets, we we don't need to confuse um, our terms and we don't need to confuse ourselves and other people that the building, the location is not the church. If, God forbid, um, Highland Park were to um, burn to the ground uh, tonight, tomorrow or, or Sunday, whenever we meet, um, the church will still meet. Highland Park will still meet because Highland Park is not the building, it's the people. Now, we love our building, and God has blessed us in tremendous ways, but we always need to understand that the people of God is actually the church. And this has been something that has always been a little confusing to uh, uh, the people of God throughout um, redemptive history. You look back even in the Old Testament, and the nation of Israel, who were the people of God at that time, um, they were constantly associating... Um, God and his presence with the temple, and understandably so, because we see in numerous passages of scripture, uh, particularly we look in 1 Kings, where we see when the temple was finally built and they didn't have to cart around the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle anymore, we would see the manifestation of God's presence there at the temple, and there was something special there. But even with that, we need to understand that it's the people of God that God was most concerned with. And we see that throughout uh, the, the history of Israel. We see that when Israel got away from um, true worship uh, of, of God, uh, God spoke through his prophets and, and told them that he didn't want their sacrifices. He didn't want their prayers. He didn't want their worship. He wanted them to stop coming to the temple. Uh, what he truly wanted was their obedience. He was more concerned not with what was going on in the temple in that location, but what was going on in their heart. We see that most clearly demonstrated when God allowed the temple to be destroyed. And so we we understand that the, the, the Old Testament um, uh, Israelites were constantly making the same mistake where they were focused so much on a location that they lost sight of what God was truly focused on, and that is the people of God. And we, we see that in today as well. We see people essentially, in many cases, making an idol of the building. You know, uh, the way they talk about um, the church building, the way they uh, treat the church building. I've been at places where they don't want kids... Um, uh, running around or, you know, um, making a mess. And I, I get that. We need to be stewards of our, of our facilities that God has blessed us with. Absolutely. But we need to also understand that ministry is going to be messy, that people are going to be messy. And you can't be reaching your community around you while also keeping your church building immaculate like a museum. 
that there is going to be uh, scuffs in the floor. There are going to be uh, sometimes stains in the carpet. There are going to be times where things have to be fixed and repaired and whatnot. And that's okay if you are still you know, focusing on people. If you're focusing on who God loves, not just where the people that God loves, where they meet. And so we need to understand that the building is not the church. It's the people of God that is truly the church. And so we see this in a number of occasions. We see in the Old Testament where uh, the people of God, their temple has been destroyed. They've been taken to exile. And we see that God's presence is still with them even in exile. As they're in Babylon, we see Ezekiel uh, in the very first chapter of, of the book of Ezekiel. We see him there sitting in uh, on the banks of the Kabar uh, River. And there he has a vision of God on this chariot. And this it's this mobile chariot that's moving all over the place. And there's these weird angels that are pulling the chariot. But the whole vision is basically to show that, you know, just because the people of God are away from the promised land, they're away from the temple, and the temple's been destroyed, it doesn't mean that God's not still with his people. Even when they go into exile, God is still with them. And we see that in the New Testament as well, where Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, he talks about how, don't you realize that your body is the temple of God? That now, as the Holy Spirit has indwelt all believers, we are the the temple of God. We are the people of God, and His presence is with us. Now, I need to pause here for a moment because there's an important clarification that I need to make here that, unfortunately, a lot of people um, make when we talk about the church not being um, where God is. It's... it's uh, the church is the people of God, not the place where the people of God meet. And the, the the problem and the misunderstanding that a lot of people have is they think, well, if if I'm the temple of God, if I'm a believer and the Holy Spirit's in me, and I church, it's not necessary necessary for me to go to a place, the church building, in order to worship God and to be with God and things like that. Then I can worship God while I'm fishing in my boat, or I can worship God when I'm in the deer stand, or I can worship God when I'm sitting on my couch in my PJs, or whatever it may be. We mistakenly think that because we are the church, that I can go anywhere and I don't have to be committed to coming on Sunday and worshiping with the rest of the church, with the rest of the people of God. And so let me just offer a few clarifying remarks if that is something that maybe you've bought into or you know of someone who's kind of uh, uh, vocalizes that kind of argument. So first of all, while you are a part of the church, you are not the church. And let me say that again. I want you to really get this fixed in your mind. I am a part of the church, but I am not the church. You, if you are a believer, you are a part of the church, but you are not the church. And so if if I were to stay home and to neglect being with the people of God, being with the church, then I am neglecting church. Okay, And while it is not necessary for my uh, eternal salvation to be at church every Sunday, I am missing out on something very important when I do neglect meeting together with the other brothers and sisters in Christ, when I neglect meeting with the church. And we'll get into that a little bit later on. But suffice it to say, when we isolate ourselves from the people of God, there is something special that happens in the corporate body of Christ when we come together and worship together and fellowship together and hold each other accountable. But we are missing out on something. And, and without getting on too much of a tangent, I'm, I'm just going to let you know that the thing that the enemy probably wants more than anything else is to isolate you from the rest of the community of believers so that you are easier 
uh, for him to attack and for him to uh, extinguish that passion, that excitement for God. And so please do not fall for that um, that lie from the enemy that just because um, uh, just just because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us that we don't need to uh, regularly be meeting with, active in, fellowshipping with the body of Christ. And, and secondly, the other thing I just want to point out here is this idea where um, I can worship God on my own, I don't need anyone else, is a very new, very Western type of mindset because of our culture that is very individualistic where I have my own individual rights and and um, you know, I have my life. I'm living my life, and you can't tell me what to do, and you can't tell me how to live, and things like that. That's a that's very much a part of our culture. But that's not a part of the culture that the Bible was actually written in. And if you look throughout the New Testament, there are just a few, maybe one or two uh, letters in the New Testament, or in the whole Word of God for that matter, that are written to individuals. When God was speaking his word into existence, by and large, the vast majority of scripture is written to a collective group, a community of, of, of people who loved God and were following God. And so the Christian faith is not supposed to be a, a solo faith. It's not meant to be something that you, you do on your own. It's meant to be something you do in community, in a group of people. And so uh, when you are not doing that, when you're isolating yourself in your faith, you are cheating yourself of many of the benefits and blessings of the Christian faith that God wants for you. Many of the uh, protections uh, that God has for you, many of the things that will safeguard you in your faith, uh, you are neglecting if you're neglecting the church. So there's that. So the first thing is uh, the, the church is the people of God, not the building where the people of God meet. The second thing I want to impress upon you as we, we kind of launch into this new series about what the church is, I want you to understand that the church is the primary path for the world to experience the blessings of God. Now, to be clear, God can bless anyone he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, and he often does. There is a common grace where God blesses unbelievers and the world around us just because God's just that loving and just that generous. And I'm so thankful that God is like that. But we also need to understand that the primary way that God wants to bless this world and bless our communities and bless our nation, the world around us, is through the people of God, through the church. And that is how God wants to bless. Now, there are a number of ways that God does this, but I'm just going to list a few of them just to kind of get the the ball rolling and get you get you on the right train of thought as to how God uses us, the church, um, to bless the world around us. First, you know, um, God uses the church as the primary way that the world is going to hear the word of God. Most unbelievers are not going to pick up the Bible and read it themselves. Uh, most people are not going to, even if they were to pick up and read the Bible, they're probably not going to understand it to, to the degree that they really need to understand it by themselves. Can they do that? Sure. Uh, have people read the Bible on their own and understood it and, and accepted Christ? Absolutely. Um, but oftentimes it's beneficial and helpful for the church to be there to, to preach the Word of God, to teach the Word of God, to explain the Word of God and apply it to people. And so primarily God does that through the Holy Spirit working through the people of God to bring the Word of God to the nations around us. And so uh, one example of this is Paul talking in Romans chapter 10. He says this, For whoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call, uh, call on him in whom they have not believed? 
And how will they believe on him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring uh, good news of good things. Now, this verse, what Paul is talking about is, if people are going to believe in the word of God, they first have to hear the word of God. And how are they going to hear the word of God unless the people whom God has called, that's us, that's the church, bring that good news to them. And so while God can do that in many different ways, he primarily uses the church to bring uh, his word to the world around us. Another uh, way that we are the primary blessing of God to the, our community and to the world around us is we are the church is the way that God wants to work. We are, as scripture says, his hands and his feet. That means Christ is no longer here on this earth, but his body in the sense of the church, his corporate body, are his hands and feet now. Jesus is not walking around this earth healing people, feeding people, ministering to the needs of people, but his church is supposed to act as his body here on this earth. And so we are supposed to be meeting needs, not just preaching the word, but also meeting the needs and doing the things that we see Jesus doing in the New Testament. We see this in Matthew 25, verses 38 and following. Jesus tells the disciples this, when it comes to the day of judgment, here's what he's going to say. And when did you see... Uh, and when do we see you, a stranger, and invite you in, or naked, and clothe you? And, and when do we see you sick, or in prison, and come to you? And then the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, the extent that you did it to these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. And in this passage, Jesus is just teaching them that when we stand before God, we're going to be judged in many ways based on how we minister and how we love on other people. Because as we are ministering to them, we're actually ministering to Christ. And so there are going to be times that people don't uh, appreciate it, uh, what we're doing for them or whatnot, but we still minister because we are the primary conduit through which God's blessings will flow through us into the lives of those around us. So if our community is hurting, if they're hurting with drugs, depression, uh, single parenting, whatever it may be, that is an open door, that is an opportunity for us, the, the, the church, the body of Christ, to minister to the community and in doing so, bless them so hopefully they'll see our good works and praise our Heavenly Father uh, who's in heaven. And so that, that's the second of the, way, uh, of the ways that we bless our community and God, um, and God works through us. The third way that I'll just kind of hit on real quickly and move on is that we address sin. That one of the ways God blesses the community around us is by showing sin for what it truly is. And so as the church reflects the glory of God and the truth of God, we are that light, that city on a hill uh, that the world sees. And so as we stand up for truth, as we, we don't compromise in, in the face of the world around us that is constantly running after sin and running to darkness, we shine in that light. We reflect God's glory in the dark world around us, and that convicts people of sin and, and many of them aren't going to like that and appreciate that. But there are going to be some who see that and they recognize, okay, so what I'm doing is wrong. And then they turn to God. And so we need to understand that that is a primary function of the church is to be that salt and light to the world around us. Uh, and then the, the third thing I just want to kind of uh, leave with you as we think through what the church is, is the church is defined by our relationship with God not our results in the world. Let me say that again, because this is so big and, and it really helps clarify so much about the church. And that is that the church is defined by our relationship with God, not our results in the world. And so 
listen, I get it. There may be some who are watching this or listening to this who you you realize that the church is flawed, the church is messed up. We have uh, we have sin, we have hypocrisy, we have all kinds of things in our church. We are not perfect people. All right, I'll be the first one to say it. I'm not a perfect person, and and I've not I've yet to find a church where there are perfect people. But the thing is, we are not defined by our results. We're not defined by how righteous we can live. We're not defined by how well we represent God. We're not defined by how well we accomplish the mission that God has called us to, to reach the ends of the earth. We're not defined by any of those things. Now, we should be doing those things. We should be living an upright life. We should be representing God well. We should be reaching the lost. But even if we don't do any of those things, those things don't define us. What defines us is our relationship with God. And so the church has never been perfect. You go all the way back to when God founded the nation of Israel, all the way to when God birthed the church at, on the day of Pentecost, all the way to, to this present day. The church will never be perfect until Christ comes back and purifies us. And we just need to understand that it's our relationship with God that defines who we are, not our results from what we do. And so that, that's true of us as individuals, and it's true of us collectively as the Church of God. So as we kind of wrap things up for this week, I just want to kind of pause for a moment, and I want to ask the, the big so what question. So what does this mean? What, in light of what we've just defined here uh, to, uh, this week, uh, what does this mean? How does this apply to us? Well, first, for Christians, if you're listening to this and you've already trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, this means that you need to realize what the church actually is. It's not a country club. Just because your name is on the roster and just because you, you pay tithes and, and you serve and stuff like that, it doesn't mean that the church is, is there to cater uh, to your preferences and your desires and things like that. The church is, a, is the family of God. Okay, We need to embrace what the church is, not what we want it to be, but what God says it is. And we need to humble ourselves, realizing that we are a part of the church, not based on what we've done or who we are, but based on who Christ is and what he's done for us. And so as Christians, we need to realize that, we need to embrace that, and it needs to humble us. Now, as for uh, non-Christians, unchurched people, if you if you happen to be watching this, I'm so glad that you're watching this. Hopefully, as we move through this series, uh, you'll better understand what the church is, and and you'll understand even with our faults and failures that the church is actually a very beautiful thing. It's a beautiful community of people who are moving towards God, and we hope that you will be a part of it. But as an unbeliever and as an unchurched person, I just hope that you understand uh, what the church is. It's the family of Christ. It's a, it's a group of sinners who recognize our loving, gracious Heavenly Father who has forgiven us. And I hope that as you understand that more, um, you understand that, yes, sometimes we get it wrong. Often, oftentimes we get it wrong. Um, but we are moving towards Christ, and we hope that you'll join us in that journey as well. So we're going to leave it there for this week. Next week, we're going to pick back up looking more in depth about uh, the purpose of the church and, and how we're supposed to accomplish that. That results, uh, that's, that means we're going to be talking about uh, evangelism and missions and all that that entails. Uh, this will be helpful for Christians and non-Christians as well. This is something that we dropped the ball on for, for some big reasons, and, and we're going to dive a little bit into that. So I hope you'll join us next week as we continue this discussion and, and understand the church more and what it means for us in our day-to-day -day life. Until then, I hope you all take care, and God bless.